Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you from high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, that's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Wednesday, April the 18th, 2012, and this is episode 883 of the Survival Podcast. So today I got a really cool guest lined up for you. After like almost having an aneurysm yesterday, thinking about what the Michigan Department of Natural Resources is doing to people up in Michigan, basically raiding their farms and killing their pigs because the pigs are brown or red or anything other than stupid blank colored pink. Um, I get to talk to somebody today fighting the battle on a much smaller scale on a local level and uh, doing good things for the urban homesteading movement. Uh, and that, that gentleman's name is Victor Alfieri, and I'll have him with us in just a minute. He's going to talk to you about his efforts as an urban homesteader, how he's been working to try to change laws over keeping hens and other things that have gone on to try to prevent people from doing the urban homesteading thing and some ways that we can talk to our neighbors, talk to our councils, and get more freedom back. It's It's sad that we even have to do that, in my opinion. The fact that anybody would have a problem with somebody keeping three or four birds in their backyard. And let's be honest, with chickens, we're talking about a couple birds. Uh, the fact that somebody would have a problem with somebody growing some carrots and uh, tomatoes in their front yard versus their backyard, I, I wonder what country we live in. But it's up to us to fight this battle. There's big battles like what's going on with the Michigan DNR. And there's little battles like this. And the little battles are we need to take it to the system everywhere in every place, and you're going to get a blueprint for how you do that today. And you're going to hear about what kind of goes on behind closed doors with local politicians that are on power trips as well. Before I bring Victor on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor number one today is the Berkey guy, Jeff Gleason. You'll find his website at directive21.com, and that 21 is the number 21, not spelled out. So directive21.com. Now, Jeff sells Berkey water filtration systems. I don't, if, even if you're a new listener, you've never heard me mention them before. Um, I don't think you would be surprised that you would get Berkey water filtration systems from the Berkey guy. And I think most people that are of a preparedness mindset understand that having clean, fresh water to drink is paramount to your survival. And would probably know, and if you don't know, I'll tell you that Berkey's will make just about any water safe to drink. Uh, but they also make the water you drink every day better to drink on a daily basis. They look beautiful. They're great in your home. They're one of the most cost-effective systems you can buy. But you can get them from a lot of people. So why go to Jeff? Why not just go to the guy at the gun show that's now into preparedness or whatever? Or why not just go to any random website or go to Amazon? Why go to Jeff the Berkey guy? Because he's the Berkey guy. He's been doing it a long time. He, ha he does tremendous volume. That means he has a great relationship with the factory. That means he has great pricing. It means he has great service. And that means that the fundamental reality when you deal with human beings is sooner or later somewhere something can go wrong. But when it does, you're going to have a real person to call that would make it right if something happens to go wrong. It doesn't happen often, but Jeff's been a sponsor of the show for over three years now. Number of complaints on Jeff from the audience, zero. As in zero, as in goose egg, as in never. Um, th that's rare in, in this day and age to have someone that does such a good job you can't even find somebody that wants to complain or bitch about anything that's what Jeff's all about so you know the product's solid so when you're ready to get that water filtration system when you're ready to take care of your water needs talk to Jeff he'll get you what you need instead of trying to convince you you need more than you really do call Jeff today if you need help with water filtration and he's got some other cool stuff on his website so check it out again directive21.com next up today silver and gold shop Look, guys, I really think that, that everybody should have a little bit of silver and gold in their portfolio. It's up to you how much, but if you want really great stuff, check out Mary, Meth, Mary Beth Maidmont's Mary Meth? Mary Beth Maidmont site, silverandgoldshop.com. She's an honest person that's going to deal with you honestly. Uh, it's going to do a good job for you every single time. And, uh, I mean, I've heard so many people tell me how great she is. And, you know, it took me a while to even figure that out because, you know, she sells silver and gold. So you buy it, she sends it to you. That's what everybody does. But it's little things like people who have told me that the price of metal dropped during the day and they had a fairly large order and she readjusted the price down. I'm not sure that always happens. I'm sure it depends on when it ships and, and how much it moves and whether it's worth doing or not. But the fact that it was even done just blows me away. 
So if you're looking to increase your silver and gold holdings, check out silverandgoldshop.com. Next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Also consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. Plus, you get discounts to over 32 different vendors. You get over $150 worth of ebooks on day one. It's a great program. You support the show at 20 cents an episode. And if you are military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active due to your prior service, please email me uh, prior to joining at jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com. Tell me who you are and what you did or who you are and what you're doing, and I'll send you a special discount code to thank you for your service. Um, last but not least, I want to remind you guys again, we do have the TSP Copper Shop open, tspcopper.com. Really cool copper medallions, uh, very low cost. Somebody emailed me and was like, I had a heart attack. I went there and it's like $34 for one coin. No, it's $34 for a roll of 20. Uh, and then there's different prices for different coins and different quantity discounts and things like that. And MSB members, you do get 10% off all your orders at tspcopper.com, at least all your orders on copper. I'm still working with Rob to get some silver and gold in there for you guys as well. All right, with that wrapped up, uh, let's go ahead and get into the, uh, get into the interview here. Again, I got Victor, uh, Alfieri hanging on the line here. Victor is a urban homesteader. Uh, he tries to live off the land as much as he can right in suburbia. He's also a expert uh, at uh, square foot gardening, and he keeps chickens in spite of a law that says he's not supposed to because, well, frankly, when he got the chickens, he didn't know there was a law, and he's here to talk to us about all of that and more. Hey, Victor, welcome to the Survival Podcast, man. Hi, Jack. Uh, thank you for having me. I've got you here to talk about a couple different things today. Basically, they're the same thing, and one is an example of it, and that is, you know, raising chickens in kind of an urban homestead environment, and then kind of how that leads into the issues with the larger homesteading movement that seemed to take over. But I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there that when they start realizing they want to provide for themselves or have gardens and things, real quick decide they want a little bit more, and one of the first things that they want to add to their homesteading is, is chickens. Why do you think that's the case, or what makes you, like, want to keep chickens? Well, for me, it all started um, right after hur Hurricane Katrina, when I really started to do the research and started kind of looking down that rabbit hole, and I'm um, realizing that... um Ultimately, we're just not prepared. We're too de dependent on outside resources, and we've really lost the, uh, control. Um, one of the, the things is that the, the, the average farmer in this country is uh, 55 years old, and it, it's all seemed to skip a generation. And we started to start to question, um, you know, how prepared we were. We start to question things like um, where our food was coming from. Um, And, and things like that. And, uh, and then we, we started to take notice of this movement, this urban homesteading movement that was kind of uh, going across the country. And we started to look into that. Um, one of the first things we started to do was a uh, garden. Um, we started our first garden, and we had tremendous success using um, the, the method of uh, square foot gardening, which was invented by uh, Mel Bartholomew, which is a really intense form of gardening. And uh, we, we just did fantastic. We started to get anywhere from six to 800 pounds uh, each, each harvest, each summer. And then, of course, um, gardeners are inherently um, research individuals. So, so one thing led to another. And, of course, once you have one garden, then you have two and three. And then it always, through doing your research, it always leads you to that, that protein source. And um, we, we looked into different types of protein sources. We, we considered maybe doing a, a fish farm on our property. We then considered looking into rabbits, which is something we considered. But although the rabbit meat is, is fantastic for you, it doesn't. It really lacks the protein for, for survival. So um, the, the next, and, and that's really what happens is you have these problems. You, you face these problems where where you realize that where your eggs are really coming from, they're packed with antibiotics and growth hormones and things like that. And then with the same with the gardening, you realize that, that the food you're buying in the supermarkets is just subpar. And there are solutions, and there are simple solutions. One of them, obviously, is to garden. But secondly, is to start raising a couple of hens on your property. Um, it, it's, they're very practical And they work perfectly in an urban environment. So, so that is why 
that is really what, what has brought, brought me to this point. Have you found that, that maybe there's some misconceptions or myths about, uh, you know, what happens if you're, if you're, God forbid, your neighbors start raising chickens or, let's say, 10 people in a neighborhood start doing it, that, that causes, let's say, government interference and unfounded concern from neighbors? And what are some of those myths? Absolutely. Um, there's a ton of misconceptions with, with raising hens. Um, one, of, one of the biggest ones is that you need roosters. Um, roosters are completely unnecessary. They're really the, the noisy culprit. Um, and some of, the, some of them reach as high as uh, of 100 decibels. So they're really unnecessary. Roosters do not lay eggs. And um, they, the, the hens are going to lay eggs regardless. So you're going to get fresh, healthy, organic eggs regardless of whether you have a, a rooster or not. Secondly is the, is the noise. Of, of course, once you eliminate the rooster, you don't have the courtship battles. You don't have the fights for dominance. And when you have hens, hens are very docile creatures. So they, um, in fact, the studies have shown that, that um, um, hens uh, cackle as only as loud as 60 decibels, which is normal human conversation. Okay. And um, at 20 feet, it dies down to 43.4 decibels. So there's a tremendous drop-off in the sound because we have to remember that they're still very instinctual. They don't want their, they, they just want to um, get attention from the other hens around them. They don't want to attract attention from hawks and other predators. So they're communicating with each other, so they're, they're, they're loud enough so each other can be heard. Exactly. Um, another one is the smell. Um, the, the waste um, from chickens is very high in nitrogen. And, um, there, there, years back, there was an odor, but they've, a lot of these chicken feeds now are rolled in what they call a yucca plant. It's like a dust, and it's used in most pet foods. It's used, it was discovered in California, and they started to use it for zoos, and then they started to add it to, um, to regular dog and cat food. And, and, you know, there's 6 million people throughout the country that own indoor birds, and that's why when you go to homes... You, that own birds indoors, you don't smell it because the food is um, designed for that reason. Also, we have to remember that chickens and chicken hen feed is a lot of whole grains. So, so the myth that waste smells, now if you had 30, 40, 50 chickens, I'm sure that there would be some sort of odor. But with three to five hens, you really have, you, you don't even smell it. There's absolutely no, 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 uh, bad smell at all. So well, and it, it stands to reason for me because the same person that will whine about that will put out a bird feeder and feed a couple hundred songbirds. And to me, you know, half a dozen or less hens are going to produce less waste than those birds are producing, uh, as my car can attest to at times. So I think that it's a, it's a misconception based on what a chicken farm smells like. It, it, four chickens is not a chicken farm make, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. That's exactly right. You, that's where the misconceptions come from. People driving by farms and smelling that, or maybe seeing something on television. Um, and that's where they come from. And uh, another, another thing is, um, hurdle is disease. And the reality is, is cats and dogs carry four times more disease than chickens. Um, and, and that's where a lot of the contradictions come in some of these laws in some of these towns. Like in my town, I'm able to have four, I'm sorry, I'm able to have five dogs on my property. Um, now, I love dogs, but, but dogs can be dangerous. Dogs, um, 4.7 million people are bitten by dogs every year in this country, mostly children on the face. Um, every 40 seconds, someone is bitten by a dog. But and that's some of the misconceptions. And I think what what um, town officials, as they, they they look at changing some of these laws, I think that they don't realize that chickens are essentially pets. Um, yeah, and, and I, I'm just thinking about the smell issue. Yeah. If you have a typical suburban yard with five dogs taking a duff in the backyard, there's going to be a lot of odor, a lot more odor than five or six chickens. Exactly. Yeah. And I've, and I've been bit by chickens, you know, pecked, but I've never had to go to the emergency room for it. <laughs> no. <laughs> and and a lot of the a lot of the um, hens that you get now, you can get them with their beats beats uh, clipped.
which which they they do that so they protect themselves, of course, and they protect the uh, the owners who who have them. So, I mean, have you been like actively trying to? Ch- I mean, is there like are you prevented from keeping chickens where you live? Are you trying to change that? I mean, wh- what's been your involvement on, on that? Yes. Um, what happened was is we had some family in town that already owned hens, and I thought they were legal the whole time. So we went out to a fair. We saw some chickens for, for sale, and we thought it would be fantastic to, to add to the homestead. So we purchased three of them, and we brought them home. Little did we know that they were illegal. Um, at that point, we, we were issued a summons. We then went and tried to uh, apply for a variance in our town, and um, we were denied. And I said, um, well, what is my next move? And they said, you have to change the law. And uh, I've been trying to do that ever since. It's been uh, well over a year and a half. Um, and where's this going on? What's your, what town or This county? is in Wayne, New Jersey. Wayne, New Jersey. I'm uh, 17.3 miles outside of d- downtown Manhattan, uh, dead east. And Imagine really, that. New Jersey's doing something stupid. That just blows me away. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, please continue. I'm sorry. I just I was born there and I left <laughs> as quick as I could. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, we're the Garden State, and um, and I I've had things happen <laughs> to me where uh, I've had my neighbor complain about gardens that I have in my front yard. Um, but that's really what's happening. It's this this as this movement goes on and people want to start living this this more natural lifestyle. Um, there has to be some sort of compromise with town officials and with residents that that you know people want have the opportunity to garden and live off their land and they're taking advantage of that and I think it's very important for health most of all but 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 also sustainability. It, it drives me nuts because on one hand the government's always telling us live greener, be more healthy, buy local, eat local. But then every time somebody actually tries to put it into practice, there's somebody getting in the way. And sometimes it's neighbors, but I've seen it more from government than from neighbors. The neighbors are the the, the catalyst that causes the conflict. So you bring your chickens home, you don't know you're you're not supposed to have them, but nobody like sends a telegram to the 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 city or county or whatever when you bring your chickens home and says, "Hey, we just registered chickens with this guy, not yet anyway." Um it's a neighbor picks up the phone and says, "Hey, this guy has chickens." So the neighbor causes the issue, but the city's the one with the law. Exactly. My neighbor did not complain that they were making too much noise. She didn't complain that they smelled. She complained that I had them. And that was really it. And the towns really should be supporting these sort of things. They should be encouraging people like myself to live healthy, more sustainable lifestyles. I, I don't use any chemicals or pesticides or herbicides on my property. I want to live a natural life because I know the true realities. Um, Supermarkets, the the USDA considers supermarket eggs um, fresh as old as as 45 days old. Mm. They also have a seven-day packing window. So you could virtually go and buy eggs in the supermarket that are 50 days old. Now, you're not going to bring home a dozen eggs and eat them right away, so they're going to sit in your fridge for a couple of days. That is that is why um, there's there's uh, just no nutrition. I mean, it, it's it's a proven it's been proven that raising backyard hens not only lowers your carbon footprint, but it has a positive effect on the environment. It, it certainly has a positive effect on the nutritional value. Um, even if you go to the store and you buy a cage-free, certified USDA, and I don't, I don't even want to get into what cage-free means because that means like they're out of the cage for two seconds a day, but a USDA certified organic egg and drop that into a frying pan next to an egg from a backyard layer that's really been cared for and fed well and taken care of and allowed to, to both be fed and free range, you don't even need to taste the egg to notice the difference. All you have to do is look at it. Absolutely, and what that is is the beta carotene. Um, the fact is is that these are done with studies. They studied 14 flocks around the country, and they compared them to um, uh, man- large manufacturer eggs. And what they found was backyard 
free-range chicken hens have one-third less cholesterol, one-quarter less saturated fat, so they're already more healthy for you. You have two-thirds more vitamin A, two times more omega fatty three acids, which are great for your health, three times more vitamin E, but seven times more beta carotene. And that's really what is fantastic for you. The beta carotene is the yolk, and that's where you get that rich, deep, orange yolk that, that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the white has got better consistency to it. It's not real runny compared to like the storage, but the yolks are so dark, and they taste different too. And I think that one looks more appetizing and, and also tastes better, and to me, our bodies have this innate intelligence. And when food looks appetizing and tastes good, unless we've done it with you know fake chemicals and branding it with hot irons and stuff like they do on a commercial, if it's really genuine and it has that appearance and, and flavor to it, that's our body telling us this is a good source of food. Absolutely. Um, and there's just getting back to the realities, even when you talk about the vegetables, uh, vegetables are harvested before they're ripe. Then they're, they're hit with um, ethylene gas when they Correct, ar yeah. arrive at the supermarket, so then they look ripe and they look fantastic. The only problem is there's no nutrition in them. And we have an, a, a, a horrible obesity problem in this country. Now, this is just my opinion. I think it's just one of the problems. But, but the problem is, is there's just not enough nutrition in the food that we're eating. Um, there's not enough nutrition in the, in the vegetables and the eggs that, that, are, that are around us, and we, we crave more. And the more we crave, we crave sweets. And, Correct. And that is really the sugars and stuff is really putting the weight on everyone because we're not getting the proper nutrition from the foods we're eating. You know, I eat almost 100% meat and vegetables now. I eat very little grain. Uh, of any source. The only grain I actually eat anymore is corn, and that's in moderation. And I eat so much less food now. I was just talking about it last week where I think people maybe got the wrong idea. The reason I lost all the weight is because I stopped eating so much. And I, I, I kind of look at it the other way around. Because I'm getting good nutrition, I'm less hungry. Um, I, and I'm not advising anybody necessarily to do this. This is just how it worked out for me. I pretty much eat veggies and meat and a lot of it for dinner. I wake up in the morning. I have, if I have breakfast, usually it's eggs and maybe a slice of bacon or two on the weekend. But during the week, I drink coffee and cream. And I might not eat again until 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, then a snack, and then dinner. And when I was eating all the stuff that they said we're supposed to eat, grains and, and, and stuff like that, I ate five, six times as much food. No wonder I was fat. And I think it's the nutritional component because, and I'd like your opinion on this. This is just kind of something I came up with over the weekend. But my feeling is almost like this. Like, we have been tricked into what hunger is in this country. We have eaten so much nutritionally devoid food, we've become accustomed to filling our stomachs completely up or we're still hungry. Where that's not really what hunger is. Hunger is when I need calories and need nutrients. So if I'm eating nutrient-poor food, then I'm going to eat a large volume, and I'm going to condition myself over time that to, to my body responds to that is I'm full when I can't fit any more in. Where what really is I'm full when I have enough calories and nutrients to function. Exactly. The, the brain, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the, the brain, um, the blood travels through the front of the forehead, and what it does is it picks up on the proteins. And then if there's not enough proteins in the blood, it sends a message to the stomach and says, we're hungry. And that's why when you get, when you might have Chinese food or you may have a bowl of pasta and you're hungry quickly, it's because of the lack of the proteins in, in, in what you're eating. And those lack of proteins, you, it's really the sweet. And then you, you crave more food. You crave more food because the meal you just had did not have the nutrients and the proteins your body needed. And, and you crave more and you continue to more. It's, you know, I remember growing up, my, my mother used to make me, I, you know, I was a big kid and I played sports and I'd come home and she'd make me like three or four grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah. And, uh, right. And, um, and I, I remember passing out on the couch because I was just, because there, and it, and there was just nothing, no nutrition in there for me at all to, to get me out of, out of, off the couch and back to school and gave me the energy I needed. But, you know what's really weird? I can tell you for a fact, had you taken just the cheese from those three sandwiches and tried to eat just the cheese, you would have never got it all down. 
You would have not been able to eat it. But wrap it in butter-soaked bread, and then you'll devour all three of them. It, it, it's really insane. I, it, and I think you're right. It's the carbohydrates because it's so nutritionally poor. The body adapts and allows you to eat more because it's, it, it says, okay, if this is what I get, I'll, I'll take it wherever I can get it. Exactly. And, so and clearly, then, and, go, go ahead, sir. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to bring up the other situation when it comes to to doing growing vegetables and and um, and having chicken hens on your property. Of course, it, it also saves you a tremendous amount of money. And I think that's what's happening also with the obesity issue is that people just can't afford it anymore. So when you have a family of four and you have ten bucks, you could go and get Burger King or McDonald's and feed your entire family. Sure. Uh, and uh, I really think that has a, a, every, a lot to do with the lack of nutrition. And um, so these are opportunities. Like I said, these are solutions to problems. And we have to start taking advantage of them and start embracing them. And start, start, start a little garden on your property or, or get a, a couple of hens for the fresh organic eggs. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping and, and I'm starting to see signs of, um, of urban environments moving in that direction. I mean, and I, I love it where I see it happening, and then in other places, like you dealing with this thing over a few chickens, it's almost like we're at war with ourselves, and there's just these roadblocks to getting things done. Um, you know, we have people that are literally threatened with jail time for having a front yard garden. You've had neighbors complain because you're growing something, I guess, other than grass in your front yard. Ironically, as you put it, in the garden state. So what are some ways that, one, we can combat the authority side of things, but two, that we can make neighbors understand this is not going to, because I think what it is, they're afraid, oh no, it's going to look like, you know, Beverly Hillbillies here and uh, they're going to, it's going to ruin our property values. Um, I don't know how anybody affords to live in New Jersey with the property taxes uh, that are tied to the values. Uh, but how do we, how do we bridge that gap? And it's, it's really, to me, it's two places, the neighbors and then the, the, the councils and things like that. Well, I think with neighbors, it really comes down to fear. I think they're afraid. They're seeing what other people are doing, and they're realizing maybe I'm not doing the right thing, and they, it scares them. And they they start to you know they start to realize, wow, look at look at this guy. He's pulling five pound watermelons off his front yard, and he's he's harvesting honeydew melons right from his front yard. You know that's the fear, and they it scares them because the, and the reality starts to set in. And that is maybe what I am truly buying at the supermarket isn't very good. Um, and so I think maybe to, to, to combat that, of course, you, you like I did, I started a, a little movement in my town. And you start to get momentum. You start to find like-minded people. And, you know, it's funny. When you start doing this thing, you, you kind of think you're alone. And then once you put yourself out there, like I started my website before I knew it, there was a tremendous amount of people that were doing the same thing I was doing, and they also were looking for support. So, so with that, you start to look to your town councils and your, your town officials like your mayor, and um, you can make change. It, it takes time, and you have to stay persistent, but, but it does work. I, I remember when I first brought the, the chicken hen issue to my, to my mayor, he wanted no part of it. He wanted nothing to do with it. And with information and emails and talking to him and him doing his own research, him looking at other towns surrounding us, he came around. And before you knew it, he was all for it. And he's, he's been pushing me to pursue this ever since. Do um, you think part of it is that you didn't go away? Like I think a lot of people go ask once and they're told to go away and they go away. Like you, you, you became a positive but a positive thorn in his side until he was at least willing to look at it. You're absolutely right, and you bring up a great point. The system is set up for you to go away. What, what happens is, is you call <laughs> you call your councilman or your mayor. They don't call you back. Then you say, okay, let me send an email. You send an email. They don't return your email. All of a sudden, you call again, and you say, hey, I'm a taxpayer here. I, I would appreciate a return phone call. Now you're a pest. And that's how the system is set up. Your system is set up to fail. As far as going town to council, it's, it's actually amazing to me that we actually allow this. Um, but councilmen can rant as long as they want. Residents, taxpayers who pay their salary, 
you're only held to five minutes. You can only talk for five minutes at a council meeting. Then, once you're finished, they can answer you. You're not allowed to respond, right? So they could rant and say whatever they want. I mean, I've been really through the gamut. I've, I've, and, I've. Just real quick, is there? I guess there's no parliamentary procedure where you can hold back the balance of your time, for instance, where I could say, well, I'm going to speak for four minutes and hold my one so, so I can return. My experience has been most town council-type situations. You can't even do that. No, absolutely not. Five minutes, and they stop you at five minutes, and you're done. They're, you're told to leave. At least they answer you, though. I mean, over in L.A. County, they have a policy where people can get up and say things, but they can only say it at the very end, and the council doesn't even have to answer well, neither does mine, and they oh wow they 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 answer in their own little way. Sometimes they don't answer you at all. The, the unfortunate part is what happened to me is I started. I had said to my wife during this process we could possibly be attacked personally. This is this is very likely, and that's exactly what happened. As soon as they realized there wasn't a reason to tell me, I couldn't own hence. I started to get attacked personally. And they can really say whatever they want. Um, our our um, council meetings are on, on TV, live TV. So it's televised throughout the entire town. And I had blatant open lies told about me over owning chicken hens. And, and that was simply because you wouldn't go away. You wouldn't quit. And they couldn't argue the facts. So now we argue the validity of the individual. Exactly, and I wouldn't go away, and that's really what it comes down to. You have to stay consistent, you have to be persistent, and you have to stay with the facts. Um, logical, Logic and facts, you, it's very difficult to battle them after a while. You could ignore the facts, and you could try to throw in your logical spin, but ultimately the facts are always going to win out. And that's really what you have to stick with, and you have to develop the, a little group that's, that's behind what you're doing. And and, you know, I always said that um, people change laws, not councilmen, but I will tell you the conclusion was is I got them to introduce a new ordinance after a year and a half, which I thought was absolutely perfect. Um, it fit most of the residents in town. Because um, right now in my town, if you have two acres, you're allowed to own chicken hens. So basically they're allowing the most wealthy, affluent, individuals to enjoy fresh, healthy, organic eggs. Yeah, let me say something on your behalf for that real quick for people that are from different parts of the country that may not get this. Owning two acres in a suburb or rural area of Texas or Arkansas does not make a person wealthy. If you own two acres of dirt in New Jersey, you got to have some you got to have some green stamps to do that. Um, it is a very, very expensive state. Not just even if somebody gave you the land. You've got to have money just to keep it with the taxes they put on you. And, and I just want to say that real quick on your behalf because I think a lot of people don't really get how wealthy a person has to end up being, especially that close to Manhattan, to own two acres. Yeah, you're talking a couple of million dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, you're absolutely right. The, the taxes are... are are just unbelievable. And I live in Passaic County. We have the highest taxes in the country. The highest, uh, as a county, we have the highest taxes in the country. Anyway, getting back to what happened is they ended up, it came to a vote. Um, I needed five for it to pass. There was nine people who were voting. And it end, uh, ended, they ended up debating the issue um, over a two-hour period. Councilmen were snapping at each other, they were, um, um, caught, they, they, it, it turned into a real mess. They insulted each other, um, councilmen then, then um, tried to defend themselves, and it really turned into quite a spectacle. And um, it's just because I think they just didn't want to deal with the issue, um, because for some reason they waited for six months to actually debate it. And I think that was just, uh, for some reason, there's some type of fear of them making this decision over three chicken hens. Um, it was kind of mind-boggling. But, but the conclusion was is it didn't pass. Um, it was voted. Uh, um, I only got three votes. Going in, I thought I had the five I needed. But it fell, a, fell apart at the 11th hour. Mm. Um, 
Now, I still have not been in front of a judge. Um, it's been an awful long time, but I do have a court date next month, and we'll see what happens there. I think, obviously, if I win, I'll be fine, but if I do not, um, I will then start getting issued with um, summonses and things like that. The, the town actually has been pretty nice um, in dealing with this issue. The town planner is for what I'm doing. He, he actually does want to change the law, but um, it's going to take time. And it, it seems like what you've got is these people that are dissenting on the council are afraid that if they allow chickens that, that they'll be thrown out on their ear because their neighbors will be pissed that now it's become chicken town or whatever. I, I mean... So is the next step then trying to push this thing through again by focusing on those districts and saying, hey, your council member is opposing this, won't you call them and tell them that you support it? Exactly. The reality uh, is is there's four, I think there's four different towns that border the, the town I live in, all allow people to own hens. Um, and ultimately, this law is going to change. Uh, it, it, it's just a matter of time. Um, there is a tremendous amount of support for it. And that's really what I think has happened. And I actually am happy. The, the result of the vote, it turned out to be very good because people saw what really happens at council meetings because there was a ton of people watching it. Um, I've had a lot of local press. I've been in um, on, on New York um, local news and uh, all over the papers. But anyway, it's got a tremendous amount of support. And after they voted against it, I don't think they realized that I was just going to really start to gain a tremendous amount of momentum. Now I'm getting emails, three or four emails every day from local residents who are in support of this and who want to raise hands. So, so I, I think they're getting exactly what they didn't want. But by avoiding and, and not changing the law, they're bringing more awareness, and it's actually benefited the movement. Yeah, I think it's, there's a basic fundamental human nature that even, even if I don't want to keep chickens, I also generally, if it's something that seems reasonable that I should be able to do, most Americans, I think most people around the world would feel like, well, even if I don't want to do it, I don't want you telling me I'm not allowed to. You know, I think there's a lot of people support the Second Amendment that way. They don't necessarily want to be a gun owner, but they also don't want you to tell them they can't be. And I think maybe you're striking a nerve with people where they're saying, what do you, so I think you, maybe there's people that are maybe becoming aware for the first time that it's even, in, that there is even a law. You didn't know. And, and didn't. you were involved in doing all this stuff. So I think some people are just finally starting to feel some basic freaking outrage to be told, you can't keep three birds. Because let's be honest, that's what you're being told. Exactly. And, and um, it really comes down to the responsibility of the owner. That's it. Someone can have five dogs, and they could be the most delightful, peaceful creatures on the earth. Someone can have one dog, and it can, can cause a nightmare for a ton of neighbors. So it really comes down to the responsibility of the owner, and that's really the bottom line. And as far as contradictions, um, these are actually kind of funny. In my town currently, you can own five dogs, of course. You can own six cats. You can also have unlimited amount of pigeons on your property. <laughs> I can also raise, breed, sell, and slaughter as many rabbits as I want. No problem whatsoever. But I am not allowed to own three two-pound chicken hens. It, 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 that seems insane on its face. And I'm not saying that the other laws should be more restrictive. I'm just saying that the, the dichotomy there is is alarming. And I, I just, I don't know, at some levels I feel like there's progress being made, and then other levels I feel like there's like this war against us doing these things. I just covered yesterday on the show this story that you've probably heard out of Michigan where the Michigan Department of Natural Resources is basically going in and killing ranchers' pigs because they're brown. Yes, I did read that. And, and when you see that, that's a very, that's not a town, right? That's a state. And, and it, that seems almost like a coordinated effort to put small farmers and small homesteaders out of business, whether it's financially out of business or just functionally out of business. You're not trying to make a living off this. You're just trying to feed your family with it. Exactly. 
Do you have – I mean, I personally don't think like, – there's people that think this is all a government conspiracy or whatever. I think it's big ag that doesn't want competition that's behind a lot of that I, when you get to that level. Well, I agree. You also have um, – they're, they're attacking the raw, the raw milk industry. Um, I just read that they, they raided um, an Amish family in, in Pennsylvania. That's correct. For, for having uh, – distributing of raw milk. And you're absolutely right. Um, it's really, it, it's happening all over the country. Um, and it really, I think it comes down to, you know, the major player, which is Monsanto. Um, and, and I think that's, that's what's happening. I think that we all know the players and who are involved in, in that organization. And it's, it's really diabolical what they're doing. Um, they're controlling the seed industry. I mean, our seeds were fine years ago. They did fantastic. We don't need more seed or, or different genetically modified seed. Um, that's all nonsense. That comes down to them wanting to patent, which they've done. They've, they've patented all these, these, um, these seeds, and, these, and, uh, and it's basically a complete takeover of the food industry. Um, and um, a good example of that, I'm sure you saw, was the movie Food, Inc. I recommend anyone who's interested in this topic to, to watch that movie. It, it really highlights the true realities of what's happening in this country. Yeah, I would say definitely watch that, and I would add to it, there's a documentary called The World According to Monsanto. And those two, if you watch those two and your blood doesn't boil by the end of them, then I think you need to maybe go to the doctor and have your pulse checked or something, cause, or your your brain receptors or something, because you're not getting it that this is what's been done to us as as a people. And I just see it as a pure greed thing. They want to control everything. They want absolutely no competition. And then they have the audacity through all these new regulations and laws and everything to call it deregulation. I mean, it's it, it's almost like a bad comedy when you think about it, because all of this stuff being done in the agricultural world with patents and genes and stuff is part of a larger schematic that they call deregulation. Bush uh, Bush Senior told the Monsanto executives in, in I, I think it was in Food Inc. where you see him tell him, "I'm in the deregulation business. Give me a call." Uh, back when he was still serving as the vice president when all of this crap started. And, and it, it, to me, the fact that they would say, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. There's exemptions for all the big companies. Kill the small companies, and that's deregulation, is almost an insult to our intelligence. Exactly. And it's, you know, other countries are not accepting this. Um, the, the, the EU, I know, tossed them out. Um, you're seeing a country like Poland. I know they just burnt down a huge cornfield. They threw them out. Some of the Latin American countries. They're, this is bad news, and I and I'm and I'm. It's, it's nice to see that our people are waking up to these realities, but we we have a lot of catching up to do in this country. We we are we are really behind the eight ball, and um and uh, people need to start educating themselves. It's very important that people do that. I mean, they don't they don't have to listen to you, and they don't have to listen to me, but they need to go out and start doing the research. It, the the information is out there for you. You need to look for it and find it and get both sides and then you come up with your own conclusion. But these companies, this company and many other like them, they're diabolical individuals and they are not concerned about our health. They're concerned about money. Well, and they operate in a way that nobody else on the planet is able to operate. They have their own private police force and their own ability to issue fines and only when a person resists it do they even go into the normal court system. So if if I was running a farm and you decided you wanted to know what I was growing and I had a sign that says stay off private property, you came onto my land in the state of Texas or Arkansas anyway, I could shoot you for trespassing. And when I did that, they would say, well, you shouldn't have went there. But these people legally are able to send their own seed police with no warrant onto your property seize your property in the form of your, your, your seed, your grain, run tests on it, draw their own conclusions, claim that you stole their patented genes, and fine you. And, and to me, that is a level of, like, like no private organization should have that type of authority. It's absolutely, and it's completely un-American. And, and when, how as a small farmer have the resources to fight 
a company like Monsanto. They just don't have the ability to go on for years and years and years in litigation. So it's really just un-American, and it's a shame that this is happening. And and in essence, it's it's happening in the larger level, but it's happening in the small towns too. I, I'm seeing it right here. Sure, and I think that's like like one of the things I started to see happen about five years ago as I was beginning to put all of this stuff together and do this for myself and, and launch the show, was that they were starting to send a message very subtly that basically home gardens, backyard gardens, suburban farming, urban agriculture was too insignificant to make a difference. It didn't matter. It doesn't really matter. There's the, 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 the problem of feeding 300 million people in this country is so big that, that the amount that can be produced that way is so insignificant that it doesn't matter. And that was like a, an attempt to shut this movement down by sidelining it, by, uh, you know, just like basically crapping on it and saying, don't even try. But when people said, wait a minute, that's, that's, that's not true because I have this one little four by four garden and we ate every damn day, uh, through the summer, something out of it. If I put in five more, I'd have five times more food and people didn't believe it. Then they went to war with it because they said, okay, we can't just lie about it and make them go away. Now we're going to have to put hurdles and, 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 and stuff in the way. Because when a guy finds four acres in the middle of Detroit that's completely shot and turns it into a farm and starts to grow food and employ people, it is a threat to big agriculture. It's a huge threat. It's not just what he can do on that four acres. It's the, the overall movement that he starts. Because all the people that start buying food from him go, hey, this tastes like food. And then they start looking for more food like that, and they don't find it at the store. So now this creates opportunity, and the, this whole – I think they're afraid that it's going to snowball and that we're going to go back to an America with you know, millions of small farms from you know, quarter acre to you know, 25 acres instead of these massive monocropped fields of, of 10,000 acres and more. Exactly. You're absolutely right. Um, and I'll give you an example. My property is only a quarter acre. It's only 10,000 square feet. Which, which is not very big. Um, I only use up 4.6% of my property with my gardens, and I harvest anywhere from 1,600 to 2,000 pounds a year. I get 80% of my fruits and vegetables right off my property. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, I'm upset with that family known as the Derveases out in California because they tried to take ownership of the word uh, urban homesteading and, and several other words. But their example still is a proven example. They have a tenth of an acre produced, you know, 6,000 pounds of food. So it's very, it's very difficult for anybody to then turn around and tell you, oh, your backyard garden doesn't matter. And it, my response would be to the people that are sending that message, if that's the case, then why do you care? Exactly. You, know, <laughs> you wouldn't care if it didn't matter. Um, in fact, I don't know if you know this. I, I'm not a real big f fan of any politician. I'm certainly not a big fan of the Obamas. But when Michelle Obama put in her organic garden, uh, she actually got w w like a, almost like an official version of hate mail from some of the big agricultural companies that didn't think that it was a good idea because it sent the message that organic was better. Exactly. Well... And we know the truth. It is better. And that's why we live these type of lifestyles. And I think that we're going to start seeing more and more of that as people like you and myself start promoting this and, and showing people that it's possible. Um, you don't need a farm. You don't need all this property. In fact, having all that property can be very inefficient. When, when you look at a small piece of property and what you're able to do, when you do practical things like obviously not having goats and and um, and cows. All you need for for a protein source is a couple of hens, a couple of gardens. And as people realize and start seeing that this is possible, I think you're going to start and and really truly wanting to know where their food comes from. I think you're going to start seeing a, a movement in in this direction. I, I sure hope so. Well, you do square foot gardening, and it's a perfect example of how smaller can be better because. When you do that, you manage your soil, your land, your property, one square foot at a time. So maybe I have a pepper in one square and a tomato in the other square, and in between it I've just harvested carrots. Well, as I'm getting that piece ready for my next sowing, maybe I'm going to go ahead this time and put nine bush beans in there because they'll grow fast and I still have enough time left in the year to do that. 
and I'm adding a little compost and, and, and using my trowel, I'm working on one square foot of soil, and I can manage that so much better than somebody that's trying to manage acres and acres of land and plant two or three crops. Exactly, and many people, they, they, they find it hard to believe that I'm able to do this. And, and um, the reality is, is that there's many things that play into this, and you're absolutely right. The soil is the most important. But because I'm able to use my, the chicken manure, which is the sure. most sought-after manure, plus I, I do a number of other things. I use um, my eggshells. I crumple up the eggshells, which, which adds a lot of minerals and calcium to the soil. I also add, I have a wood-burning stove, and I, I use the ashes, which are full of, of nutrients, and I add them to my soil. So in a combination of, of doing all these efficient things, you improve your soil, which then improves your harvest and the taste of, of the vegetables you're growing, and which enables you to grow a, a tremendous amount of vegetables in a very small place. Yeah, and I, I think that it's like, You've kind of got your thing you want to do. You want your vegetable garden and your birds. And I think that there's a lot of room for a lot of other techniques. You mentioned rabbits, and they are a great protein source as well. And there's ways to effectively ranch grow rabbits, if you want to call it that, colony grow rabbits, where you can plant things that are perennial in nature to feed them with, like alfalfa. And you can, you, I mean, and that, that's another niche. And then there's people that, like you said, goats and stuff. Don't, uh, to me, that's a bit much for suburbia. But the guy with an acre or two, he can have a couple goats, maybe, a, you know, a, a couple females and a buck and, and breed out a couple meat goats every year. There's, there's so many things we could be doing if there wasn't something in our way. And there's, I think that it's bigger than that. I think there's things that we don't even know what we could do yet because people aren't experimenting at the level that we should be. Exactly, and that's really what has to happen. I think this 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 urban homesteading movement is moving very quickly, and that's what the local towns, the laws have to kind of catch up. They fell behind, and you, you, there's going to be a period where they, they need to start catching up, realizing this has happened, realizing that residents want to live this type of lifestyle, and start looking at some of these dated laws, and, and a good example is the law in my town is was written in 1947. It's well over 60 years old, and it just doesn't make sense in our current times. People are struggling now. Um, they're trying to make ends meet, and they need, you know, the taxes are going up. Um, local officials need to find ways to help residents offset those uh, uh, um, higher expenses with, with gas and dairy and things like that. And they could do that. By, by loosening up the laws and allowing people to do these things. And, and, and I'll tell you that the fact is, with, with five hens on your property, you can save your family well over $300 a year. Oh, easy. I, I would say that's, 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 that's being yeah. very conservative. Um, also, if you look at like for like, if I'm going to go out and buy an egg anywhere close to that quality, I'm going to pay a lot more for it than I am for USDA grade A, you know, white, you know, supermarket eggs. Um, and, and then the manure component as well. I mean, what's the, what's the cost of a bag of compost down at uh, Home Depot that's nowhere near as uh, mineral rich and nutrient rich as what you're producing? So, I mean, I think you can do better than that. Absolutely. There's tremendous benefits with raising hens, um, a health and sustainability benefit, and when you look at when you look at the gardens, you, you, there's really no waste, and that's the thing with owning hens and having vegetable gardens. There's no waste. Everything goes back into the soil and rejuvenates the soil for the following year. And you and it's like we have organic pickup in my town. I, I think that's ridiculous. Everyone has enough room <laughs> to have to have a compost bin, a little compost yeah. bin. Well, why are we dumping our grass clippings and, 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 and giving them away when we should be using them to, to improve the soil we live on? And, well, um, so. and, and you know that when you put your square foot gardens in, that that area, even though it's producing food, uses less required fertilizer and water than a lawn does significantly less. So it's more resource-wise as well. And it, that, that's, that's not even accounting for the resource that comes out of it, the food that you get to eat. Exactly. Square foot gardening is the most efficient, practical form of gardening urban, on an urban homestead because it enables you to use um, less resources. 
Um, I'll give you a quick example. If you plant carrots, like it says on the back of the packet, um, you plant um, 16 carrots and seven and a half feet long if you do the old, the old method of, of um, the row gardening. You can, and the new method of the square foot gardening, you plant those same 16 carrots in one square foot. So now you're getting the same exact yield. The difference is, is you, you only have to weed one square foot. You only have to water one square foot. So it absolutely uses tremendously less resources, and you get a, a better result. Yeah, I, it makes me think long ago I did a presentation on permaculture and gardening, and I put four square foot in it, and I took four sticks I went around and found in this campground we were at. They were about four feet long, and I laid them on the ground into a four-by-four four square. And then I asked people how many different, not plants, how many different varieties like you're saying 16 carrots in one square foot, so that would be 16. But I was just saying, okay, carrots, beans, celery, you know, whatever. How many different varieties of plant do you think I can fit in here? And people were saying four, six, right? So when I said, well, you've got four, 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 so you've got 16, no one could even get their head around it. So then I took a bunch more four-foot sticks and I laid the grid out. And then all of a sudden it was like this thing that was always there, people could see, almost like a sculptor says, like the, the block of marble already has the statue and I just uncovered it. And I don't think people get it until they actually see it, how how great of a technology it really is, as simplistic as it is. Exactly. And then when you incorporate vertical gardening in the same thing, oh, yeah. it changes everything. You can add another you know, 16 square feet to your garden by just going straight up and doing climbers like uh, cucumbers and sugar snap peas and beans, and they're using really a couple of inches of soil. They're using the same exact soil. The only difference is they're using the air space above it. Yeah, and I've taken that to some levels as well. Like I have uh, one bed that's full of peppers, and I'll grow squash or watermelons in there. And since I have a lot of space, I don't even trellis them up. I just trellis them out of the bed and let them go nuts through the yard. And, and then people say, well, how do you mow that? Well, I won't mow that. It's a, it's a watermelon. You know, <laughs> so I mean, you can even allow some of these things if you have the right environment to not even just go up, but sprawl out onto area that's that's not being intentionally managed and cultivated because it only needs to draw the nutrient from that soil you've planted it in. And to me, that opens up a lot of things that people maybe don't plant in smaller gardens because I don't want to give up the space. With so with vertical and and out trailing, I guess you'd call it, you can really expand things. Exactly, and. Really, you know, when I first set out to do this stuff, I wasn't one of these tree hugger guys, and I wasn't, you know, into the, I recycled, and I did the little things, and I never thought I'd be like this, but when you start gardening, and you start doing these things, you start to read and realize that you don't need to use the pesticides and the herbicides. You could be just as successful without them, and you really, and then all of a sudden, you start doing things like that. You start saying, hey, you know, we have to stop, start living a, a cleaner lifestyle and you stop using the chemicals. And, um, so and now I'm at a point, my wife and I, where, where we're really conscious of the environment. And it, it, we never thought we'd be like this, but, but gardening did that to us. It, it changes the way you see things. Well, you have a stake in it now, right? And that's what I always say about anything that you want to get to fend is get people doing it because then they have something to lose if somebody takes it away. If you don't have a garden and people start talking about making it hard to garden, you don't really care. Um, you should, but most people, their human nature is it doesn't affect the temperature of my pool or my 401k balance. Yeah, I don't have time for it. i got a lot of other things to be busy about. But when you have it, then you start to think about it. And then when you start eating good quality food, that becomes important to you as well. So, like, I don't know about you, but the best way I've found to spread this is to give away food. Sure. Sure, we, we do that. We we, of course, save a lot of it. We do a lot of the preserving. But, yeah, we give it to friends and family and neighbors. Absolutely. That, that's a big part of it. And then you're right. People see um, the difference in the flavor and, 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 and how, wow, you know, this looks exactly like something I would buy in the supermarket. And it, it does start to open their eyes. And that's really what this is about. Ultimately, this comes down to learning. You know, and that's really why I tried a lot of the things I wanted. I wanted to learn some of the old methods, the old methods that have been wor working for hundreds of years. I, I really realized that I needed to start to learn those things because it's really skipped a generation. 
And um, that was really what set me out was the learning aspect to it. And that's why I try all these different things because the only way to learn anything is to do it and try it. So, so that's what's really led me to this point. You know, and I think there's things that people have misconceptions about. Like one guy asked me, he said, well, what tomatoes are you growing? And at the time I was growing mostly Romas. And he said, well, why are you growing those? I'm like, because you get huge yields. They're great for canning. They do great for making salsas and pico de gallo and stuff like that. He's like, but they don't have a lot of flavor to them. I'm like, well, here, here's a couple of them. Take them home and eat them. And he couldn't believe it because his opinion of aroma tomato was based on aroma tomato at Walmart. And, and so does it have the flavor of, like, uh, Cherokee purple or something? No. But it's a really great tomato for the home gardener that tastes totally different when it's grown and it's not, like you said, ripened with ethylene and it's fresh and it's it's had to work a little bit to produce its its fruit. Um, I, I think there's so many things that people just need to discover, and if we can help them discover it, then we win them over. You're cr- absolutely correct. Uh, and... Uh and that's, that takes time, and it's a, it's a bit of a process. And you're right. I, I, I see that same example where people, they don't know, even know how to grow a tomato plant or, or a simple, like people don't realize, like I harvested carrots till the middle of December this year. We had a really mild, mild winter. Sure. But, but people are blown away that I'm pulling, you know, <laughs> 9 to 12-inch carrots out of, out of soil um, 10 feet out my back door. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny you say that. I have a neighbor who lives up the road, and they garden, but they only garden right in the middle of summer, and they garden, like, squash and beans and maybe a few other things. And the, by the time they get, like, into the middle of summer, the pests end up being overwhelming. They spray them, and it still doesn't seem to work. And so they get what they get early in the season, and they're done. And they're those typical summer crops. And the guy had stopped, and I said, hey, do you guys like carrots? And he's like, yeah, we love carrots. I said, well, let me grab a few for you here out of the garden. And when I pulled the first one out, these are the Scarlet Nantes, the nice big thick ones, you know. It was about nine inches long and bright orange. And he just went, whoa. Like, he was, like, shocked that the carrot just emerged from the soil that way. And, you know, down here it's even more mild. So I was pulling these out in February. And, it, you know, I'm standing there. And, I was, and, what I was, and he says, what are you doing right now other than giving me carrots? I'm like, I'm cutting lettuce and spinach and stuff. We're going to go make a salad. And like, like the mind had trouble even grasping that that was possible, not because it was hard. It was just because they never tried because they didn't know any better. You're absolutely right. I mean, carrots and, and, and things like that are so easy to grow. All you do is some sprinkle down some seed. And that's, that's the thing. And you're right. People don't realize how easy it is. And that's, that's what dawned on me. It's like, why on earth am I going to go to a supermarket? I have no idea what's in this food. I have no idea who grew it. It's probably from Latin America or China or somewhere. Why on earth would I do that when right outside my door I can grow as many peppers as I want? And once that hits you and it clicks, everything changes because you start to try different things and say, hey, I love broccoli. Why aren't we growing broccoli? And then you go out and you, you hock off a nine-inch across uh, head of broccoli which is you don't even need to steam it. You can eat it. It's got packed with so much flavor. Asparagus, thick, thick, beautiful asparagus coming out of the ground every year. It's an amazing feeling. So, so I'm hoping that, uh, that more and more people start to grasp this uh, going forward. And you have a website where people can see what you're doing and you keep current events on there and stuff like that as well, right? Absolutely. I have a website. Um, it's woodlotfarms.com. It's W-O-O-D-L-O-T-farms.com. I'm the editor. Um, everything on there is, is, is what I practice, the kind of life I practice, and things that I follow. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, please visit the website. Well, hey, uh, Vic, man, I appreciate you being on the show today, and I want to thank you for the work that you're doing because you're fighting your fight, you know, in Wayne, New Jersey, and you're trying to make a difference there, and it's not going to be like one day somebody's going to wave their hand and all of these battles will be won. It's going to be won one battle, one war at a time, uh, and a cumulative effect over time for people that, that don't go away and keep fighting. So, hey, man, thank you for doing that. Jack, thanks so much for your support, and uh, being on your show was a great experience. Um, uh, thank you very much. Yeah, Folks, and with that, this has been uh, Jack Spirico today along with Victor Alfieri helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
Revolution is you.